This is Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat Risk Consulting in Ottawa, Canada, and you're listening to Quick Hits, a short podcast about all things terrorism related. Came across a fascinating piece in The Guardian online this morning, which was entitled ASIO, which is the ASIO, the Australian Security Intelligence Organization, or that country's equivalent to CSIS, the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, where I worked for 15 years. ASIO reveals up to 40% of its counterterrorism cases involve far-right extremism. And they're quoting a senior official, the Deputy Director General of ASIO, a woman named Heather Cook. And she said that ASIO's workload, as far as counterterrorism is concerned, that looks at the far-right, is up to 40% of their resources compared to 10 to 15% before 2016. And goes on to talk about how COVID-19 has created both a greater opportunity for far-right extremists to recruit online, as well as a powerful anti-government message for those who resent lockdown to combat the pandemic. Uh, Talk about the Christchurch massacre and that the far-right threat in Australia is, quote, enduring and real and growing. What do we make about all this? Well, I find this a, a fascinating admission by the a senior official of a major Western intelligence service. And it speaks to uh, a lot of talk these days about what we want our security intelligence and law enforcement agencies to do in a world where the far right, as nebulously defined as that is, and I've talked a lot about the problems with the definition far right extremism, seems to be for some growing in nature. Others say it has usurped Islamist extremism. I don't want to repeat all the arguments that I made countering slightly that notion. But I do want to point a couple things out here. I'm guessing that far-right extremism uh, for the Australians is very real. I have seen some open source reporting on planned attacks and some very violent incidents in that country. I'm also going to guess that Islamist extremism is still a priority for ASIO. They have their they have their own domestic homegrown problem. They've had several plots in Australia over the past couple of years, including recently. They live in a tough neighborhood. Indonesia is rife with Islamist extremism. At the same time, they also have counterintelligence priorities. I'm sure Russia is no more a friend to Australia than it is to Canada. I wouldn't be surprised if there's meddling going on there. Australia is having one hell of a time with China right now in their bilateral relations. A lot of acrimony between the two countries. And so there are always competing priorities when it comes to security intelligence. The important point here is that if ASIO has said publicly that it has raised its counterterrorism resources devoted to the far right from 15% to 40%, I am hoping that that is derived and dictated by operational matters, i.e. that the intelligence that they're seeing, that they're gathering on the ground, warrants a shift in resources from what was what was earlier on largely Islamist extremism, so probably 85 to 90% to a 60-40 split right now. What I'm hoping is not happening is what we're seeing happening in the United States, where politicians are telling the intelligence services what not to do. And there's a classic case of this. This is a report uh, from The Hill, the online uh, news source from Washington, entitled CIA letting less intelligence on Russia reach President Trump. Why? Well, because he doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't want to hear how Russia is meddling in the U.S. elections in favor of him versus Joe Biden. 
And in fact, that the director of the CIA, Gina Haspel, has actually limited the intelligence out of, and this is a quote, out of an abundance of caution, writing that she often disagrees with the Russia-related intelligence and sometimes sees the analysts as misleading her. I've already talked about political interference in intelligence, and I'm not going to repeat the arguments I made before. Look, intelligence agencies collect what they want for two prime, in, in two primary ways. They try to meet the requirements that are leveraged by their masters on a yearly basis, perhaps more frequently, perhaps less frequently. I was part of many intelligence requirement sessions in my times at CSE and CSIS over the years. A good intelligence agency moves where the threats are the threats are going. As I've noted on several occasions, I started my career in the Cold War. We were looking at the Soviet Union all the time. When the wall fell in 89, we had to shift our intelligence gathering. It simply wasn't important anymore. And we moved off in different directions, of which I'm not going to go into any details. That's what a good intelligence service does, be it a foreign intelligence service or a domestic security intelligence service. Secondly, an intelligence service's goal is to be the early eyes and ears for what might be coming down the road. They recruit sources, they collect information on incipient threats, ones that aren't quite registering in the greater public, and they, they can say, look, at this is something we see coming down around the curve in the near future. We think we should start collecting more intelligence on this. I'm going to hope that ASIO is, is doing what they're doing for those two reasons that there is some direction from the government in terms of intelligence priorities, as well as ASIO, which is a fine security intelligence service, a fine domestic intelligence service, is already ahead of the curve. And that they're looking at these things because they know they're going to pose a threat. They are posing a threat right now, and it is their assessment that it'll pose a greater threat in the future. That's why they're shifting resources. The question I have, and I'm sure I'm not going to get any answer to this anytime soon, is what is my own service here in Canada doing about this? As I've mentioned in the past, when I worked for CSIS and I left in 2015, uh, there was essentially no right-wing extremism investigations on the books. We didn't have any resources or very, very few devoted to it. Maybe more of a, what we call a watching brief. Kind of just, you know, keeping an ear out and an eye out to see what's happening. I'm guessing that's changed, and I've stated that many times in public. To what extent, I have no idea. Has CSIS gone, followed the Australian model, where it's gone from 10% to 40%? Well, actually, in our case, it'd be like, 1% to 40% in terms of CT counterterrorism investigations. Are those numbers warranted? Is the far right threat in Australia bigger than the far right threat in Canada? It's certainly bigger in the United States. The Americans, the FBI, I'm sure, is, is devoting humongous resources to the far right because that, that country's problem is humongous. Whether it's neo-Nazis or white supremacists or the, or the Boogaloo Boys or name it, there's hundreds of groups gathering and by the way if you want a really good open source perspective on the far right i highly recommend you look at the southern poverty law center the splc bizarre phrase i know bizarre name uh, splc.org they run a great website on the far right threat in the united states so it stands to reason that the americans should definitely move resources from one part a to part b i.e the jihadis to the far right i'm not convinced that's the case here in canada but I do know that my former service, CSIS, did state last year that far right is an issue. They're looking at it. Again, to what extent, I have no idea. The bottom line is that when you work for security intelligence, you've got limited resources to look at wide-ranging and disparate problems. You never have enough men and women to do it all. And as I said before, and I'll say it again, you're only as good as your last failure. So if they shift resources from A to B and A blows up, everyone's going to want to know why. 
Why weren't you watching it? Why weren't you investigating them? Why weren't you following them? Why'd you take your eyes and ears off them? Why, 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 why? Nobody cares when nothing happens. Everyone cares when something happens. That's the reality of security intelligence. It's not me carping, complaining, and whining. That's the nature of the beast. Moving forward then, I'll watch this very closely in terms of not just what the Australians are doing, but what the Brits are doing, what the French are doing, what the Germans are doing, what the Americans are doing, and likewise, what we're doing here in Canada when it comes to our counterterrorism investigations to see if they are evolving as the threat evolves. CSIS is a good organization, and I have every confidence that they're following the threats as they see them, not in response to public demand. If you listen to the public, it'd be all far right all the time, and that would be a very, very bad decision. But I'm sure they're getting it. I'm sure that they're on top of it. I have confidence in them. I think Canadians should as well. Anyhow, that's my views on how CT counterterrorism resources are allocated. What do you think? Should we take them all out of the jihadi box, put them in the far right box? What about the far left? What about Antifa? Should we be looking at that? Love to hear what you think. You can reach me on email, borealisrescue.gmail.com or on Twitter at borealisaves. You can also find me on Facebook and LinkedIn. If you want to subscribe to the content on Borealis, please go to my website, borealisthreatrisk.com. Hit the subscribe button, give me your email. You'll get a free daily digest of all the blogs and podcasts on a daily basis, first thing into your inbox every morning. Drop me a line. I'll talk to you again very soon. Until then, stay safe.